Hey, it is time for Kids Church, so fifth grade and under, you all are dismissed. Go have a great time. And uh, we want to welcome in those of you who are watching with us online. We're glad that you're joining us. And uh, today we're beginning a brand new series of messages. And over the next couple of weeks, actually the next four weeks, we're going to be in a series called Free. And, and I want to point out something just as we begin this message uh, that most of us have probably learned somewhere along the way. And it's simply this, that it's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what the problem is. Right? Like, I mean, that's, that seems to be common sense, right? It's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what the problem is to begin with. When, when I was younger, and, and really even still now, I would hear this knocking noise, uh, or if I hear a knocking noise on, in, in the hood of my car, like in my car engine, I, I do what all guys do, or at least most guys anyway. Where you pop the hood, you pull over the side of the road, you pop the hood, and then you get out of the car and you go and you open the hood of the car and you stand there with your hands on, on like the top of the hood, right? And you just stare into to the engine, right? And then I'll do what most other people would do. Shut the hood and call somebody who knows how to fix it because I don't know anything about car engines, right? So I'm not going to solve the problem. There's nothing that I can do about it. I'm just going to call somebody that can because, again, I don't know anything about car engines. I can't solve a problem if I don't know what the problem is to begin with, right? And so here's the deal. Many of you have been trying to solve you for a very long time. There, but but you've, you've spent money trying to solve you, right? Like some of you spent some major money trying to solve you. Some of you, your spouse sent you to talk to somebody to try and solve you because you are a problem. And, and they're like, look, you've got you to gotta go deal with this, right? You've got to solve this. But the problem is it's hard to solve you if you're not sure what the problem is to begin with. But you're, you're smart people, and so I think you have a theory as to what's wrong with you. I mean, it's not like you haven't tried to figure it out yet, right? I mean, so solving you can be a really big deal. I mean, some of you, you've lost jobs because you haven't been able to solve something about you. Some of you have lost marriages because you haven't been able to solve something about you. Some of you, you've lost a lot of money, you've lost a lot of sleep, you've lost a lot of time, you've lost your self-esteem, you've lost your reputation. Maybe you've lost a child or, or a relationship with one of your parents, but there's something about you that you know needs to be solved, but you just can't solve it. And maybe the reason you can't solve it is because you don't know what's wrong. Now, because you're smart and sophisticated and educated, you've got a theory. And if you've been to counseling, perhaps somebody's probably told you, hey, here's what the problem is. But you know this as well, that knowing what the problem is, is different. It's not the same as having a solution for the problem, right? You, you can know what the problem is, but what if you don't have a solution for it? And so that's what we're going to do in this series, in the series, this series free. I'm going to offer you an explanation as to what is wrong with you. That's mighty generous of me, right? I'm going to offer you a gener uh, an explanation as to what's wrong with all of us, myself included, based on what the Apostle Paul taught in the New Testament. And here's the deal. You might not like his diagnosis either, and that's okay. You, you don't have to agree with him, but, but you should have an idea of what's wrong with you and why you can't seem to make progress in certain areas of your life and, and why you haven't made a lot of progress. So, I mean, at, at the very least, we should be open to a different diagnosis. And so today we're going to look at what's wrong with us. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what Paul says the solution for us for what's wrong with us is. And so, so beginning today, we're going to go through several chapters of the book of Romans, not all 
today, but over the next couple of weeks. And if you've ever tried to read through Romans, you know it's not the, it's not the easiest book in the New Testament to read through. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today, but before we get into Romans chapter 5, we're going to actually look at Romans chapter 7. And I want to read a description of how the Apostle Paul would describe his life before he discovered the solution that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks that relates back to his understanding of, of what the problem is that we're going to talk about today. Did you follow all of that? All right. And again, you might not agree with his diagnosis of you and you might not like his solution, but, but I bet at the very least we can all get our arms around his description of his experience before he decided that he needed an alternative explanation of the problem and the solution. Here's what he said, and I bet you can relate to this. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, that can be kind of confusing. In, in, in middle school ministry, we would call this the doo-doo verse because that's what this is, a lot of doo-doo, right? That's a crappy joke, isn't it? Yeah, I went a long way for that, and some of you all were slow on the tape. All right. So he says, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, this could be any law. This could be the Bible. This could be the law of society. It could just be your internal law. There's something in you that guides you, that says that you what you should and what you shouldn't do, right? And here's the strange thing about you, and here's what I know is true about you because it's true about me as well, is that the thing that I think I should that I ought to do, I don't consistently do that. The, the things that I think I ought to do, I don't consistently do them. I mean, I mean, forget the Bible, forget the church, forget God, forget what your wife says, what your mother-in-law says you should do. You internally have a sense of what you ought to do. And sometimes you don't do it. It's as if there's almost like there's, like there's two of you. There's a, there's a hear what I ought to do, and, and I'd be better off if I did this, and I'd be healthier, and I'd be a better husband, and I'd be a better father, and I'd be a better person. Here's what I ought to do. But then there's this, there's like there's this other part of you that just that just does what you should not do. And as an adult, we should have an explanation for that. We should have some sort of reason for why that is. And so the Apostle Paul is about to tell us what he thinks it is. Verse 18 and 19, he says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Now, now don't raise your hand if if this if you relate to this, but he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. And you know what's great about this passage of Scripture? Is that this is a passage of Scripture that everybody can relate to. I mean, even if you don't believe the Bible is true, even if you don't believe in God, you think it's a crutch, whatever, this is a passage that everybody can relate to. This is is the one thing that everybody relates to, that we all do things that we don't want to do. So here's the question. Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? I mean, really, why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? I mean, what's wrong with, can, can you imagine how great church would be? I mean, you just come to church, you sing a couple of songs, and, and then I get up and say, hey, stop it. All right, see you next week. Like, that's, if, if we just did what we were supposed to do, like, that would be it, right? I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need a Bible, you just, you just need like a three-by-five card that would say, hey, stop, don't, always, right? Get it. All right? Like, that, that's all we would need. I mean, do we really need somebody else to tell us what to do? I mean, do we need somebody else to, to tell us what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, do you really need another diet book? Do you really need somebody else to, to say, hey, you shouldn't look at that stuff. It just pollutes your mind and it's going to wreck your relationship with your wife. Do you need somebody to tell you that? Do, do you need somebody to tell you, hey, hey, study harder, you know, pay now, play later? Do we need more advice? You see, the problem isn't that we don't know what to do. The problem is we just can't figure out how to do it. <laughs> 
You know how many self-help books there are? Last night I walked into Barnes & Noble's. And uh, as they've got you know, two sets of doors. And so you walk in that first set of doors. And right to the, very, to the right, before you even get into the main bookstore, there was just this shelf, uh, you know, like four or five shelves, and just this section there. And it said, maybe this will help. That was at the top of it. And it was all of these just self-help books. I mean, and there was probably, you know, a dozen different ones. But, but really, they're all the same book, aren't they? I mean, they're all, all the same book. They're, they're just rewritten, and, and it's funny. It's like suddenly there's this new idea, and it's like, no, there's not a new idea. Somebody back in the, in the 1960s already wrote this book, but, but everybody died, and, and they forgot about it, and they realized it didn't really work. And, and so like, oh, there's just this new idea. No, no, none of it's new. It's the same old stuff. Every generation of authors makes a lot of money off of ideas that don't work. You know why they don't work? You know how we know that they don't work? Because if they work, nobody would have to rewrite the book. Right? So, so why, don't we just, I mean, why don't we just do what we ought to do? I mean, why is it that I can, I can train my dog to do things, but I can't train me? I mean, why is it you know, I can housebreak my dog, but I can't housebreak me? I mean, not, not literally, but, but figuratively. What, what's wrong with you, right? The Apostle Paul says, well, maybe... You don't know what the problem is to begin with. And so let me explain what the problem really is, he says. And, and then he's going to offer a solution. So here we go. We're going to jump into Romans chapter 5. We're going to jump in the middle a little bit. So, so we're going to go slow. But we're going to go Romans 5, uh, verse 6 through, through 19. He says this. Paul writes, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, and he's referring to something that he's going to talk about later, this sense of, of powerlessness, this sense of, wow, I, I want to, but I can't. And at times it's like, like there's just a power that overcomes me, and, and I can't. He says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And here's our first speed bump. Because in order to understand the problem, that we're dealing with, and to understand what the solution is, you have to acknowledge the reality as Paul describes it. You have to acknowledge the reality of you. And Paul says that you are ungodly. Now, that's a little offensive, isn't it? I mean, really, it is, isn't it? That's a little bit uh, offensive. But so, so let me kind of pick this apart so that we, we don't get too offended. Because none of us in this room would say, well, well, I'm ungodly. Like, that's not a common phrase that we use, right? We would, might say, well, you know, I'm not perfect, Right? But we, but we wouldn't say, I'm not ungodly. So let, let's just explain that. See, God is perfect, and you are imperfect. And we would all agree with that, right? Like, you're imperfect. So let's just change the prefix from, from um, M to, to un. You're unperfect. God is perfect, and you are unperfect. So you are unlike God. That means that you are ungodly. You got it? Un ungodly. You are ungodly. And you're not ungodly because you're the worst person in the world. You're just not God. So you're ungodly. And he says that we're all ungodly because we're not perfect. And, and every religion in the world, it doesn't matter what religion in the world, but every religion in the world, whether they consider God just pure spirit or not, or, or a, a manifestation of whatever, they all consider, they all have this in common. They all consider God to be the perfection of all things. God is the perfection of all things, and, and you're not. So you're ungodly. So really quickly, I want you to turn to somebody, um, preferably not your spouse, and just say, hey, you're ungodly. I mean, really, like, you're ungodly. Right now, I just want you to tell me, because everybody needs to hear this. If you're at home and, and you're watching this online, your kids are close by, just turn to them and, and say, hey, you're ungodly. So that we're all on the same level playing field. Some of y'all are having more fun with that than... Uh, so Christ died for the ungodly. Now, Christ, the perfect Son of God, dying for the ungodly. That's kind of odd, isn't it? Paul says, yeah, I know it's odd. Here's what he says. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. 
I mean, it would be hard to give up your life for a good person. I mean, think about that for a minute. Most of us probably are not laying down our lives for, for a good person. But occasionally somebody, somebody would. Somebody might do that. Every once in a while it happens. But Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love. And, and this, puts, this is what puts God's love in such a different category than ours. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now Paul's getting more offensive. He says, now you're calling me a sinner. Paul, Paul says this. He says, here's my explanation of the problem. You are an ungodly sinner. I mean, that's, that's Paul's explanation of our problem. You are an ungodly sinner. And why this is so important is this. See, this is 2,000 years ago when Paul's writing this. But, but when he's writing this, there were people who were, who were still alive when Christ died. And so here's the implication of this. Paul is saying, can you imagine this? Jesus is being crucified just outside of Jerusalem. And me and my buddies, you know, we're 40, 50 miles away. And we're just out there sinning our brains out. We're just living our best life and we're sinning our brains out. And while we're doing that, at that very moment, Christ would die for us. Us ungodly sinners. Who would do that? Every once in a while, he says, you'll find somebody who would lay down his life for a good person. But who would die for the sins of another person at that moment that that person is still actively sinning? Like they're just totally disregarding the, the significance of that sacrifice and the cost. So this is, this is almost like real time for Paul. Paul's like, it occurred to me that while Jesus was being nailed to the cross, I was out sinning. I was still a sinner. While I was still sinning, in that very moment, Jesus died for those very sins. Who would do that? Wow. But God demonstrates his own love. That's why it's a different kind of love. And now for us 2,000 years later, it means that, that Christ, when he died, he died for your past sins. He died for the ones that you're going to commit this afternoon. He died for, the, for those evil, sinful thoughts that you had yesterday when Auburn was beating, uh, beating Kentucky, right? He died for all of those. Who would do that, right? Now that brings to, to our minds if we're following Paul's argument. But, but wait a minute. What, what makes us ungodly? I mean, we know we're not perfect. We, we know that, but, but ungodly sinners, is it, because of, is it because of something I did? And so the Apostle Paul, he, he changes the direction and he takes us into some of the most complex and, and deepest and most significant teachings in all of the New Testament. Here's what he says, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, death was on the hills of sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So he says that, and then he kind of loses his train of thought, and he goes somewhere else, and, and, he, and he comes back. But he leaves this big, giant, important thought just kind of hanging out there. And this is so important. Here's what he says. He says, sin. I want you to think of sin as, as a noun, not, not a verb. We, we think of sin as a verb, but, but I want you to think of sin as a noun. It, it's a thing. And once upon a time, this thing, this power, we, we can call it a disease if you want. He said, once upon a time, there, there was no sin in the world. And then sin entered the world. Well, Paul, how, how did sin enter into the world? Well, it entered through one man. And he'll explain it in just a few minutes, but, he, but he's talking about Adam, not, not me, the, the first Adam. But if I had been the first Adam, it was, the result would have still been the same. He says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world like a disease. Now, in the next couple of weeks, this is going to be so important for us to understand this, that, that he doesn't just describe sin as, as an activity or a verb, but it's like a thing that results in a verb. It's a noun that results in verb. There, there's, there is sin that results in sinning. Like that, that, that seems pretty simple, right? But, but it's not. And one of the reasons that you haven't been able to change, that you, ha you haven't been able to make progress, is because you've addressed the wrong things that you've done as simply verbs. You're addressing the activity, but you've never dealt with the noun. 
He says sin, this thing, this virus, this power, this force, whatever you want to call it, sin entered through one man and death came because of that, through sin. That is, that death was on the hills of sin. And you've experienced this because in your life, if you've had a, had a bad habit or you've, you've had an addiction, you've seen that death follows your sin, right? You, you killed a relationship, you killed your finances, you killed a career, you killed, you killed something with your parents. Maybe it, was a, uh, maybe it was somebody actually physically was killed or injured because of your sin. He said that wherever sin goes, death is right behind it. And the reason that you know you're ungodly is because you're dying. That's how you know you're ungodly, because you're dying. Because when sin entered the world, death was right on the hills of sin. And so he says, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To which we go, okay, so, so death came to me eventually in my life because I sinned. That's not what he's saying. That's, that's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. And this is, this is so incredibly powerful. He's saying that once upon a time, there, there, was, just, there was just Adam. All right, There was just Adam. It was just Adam, and because Adam was the first man, there was this sense in which we were all in Adam, because we would all, be, we would all come after him. And he's going to explain this later. But, but so, so what Adam did, we did, because we were all in him. And through Adam, sin entered the world. And because we're all, his, we're all descendants of Adam, we're all affected. Maybe we should say infected. Think of it this way. This is, I've got some different ping pong balls up here, and they've all got names on them. And this is me. So this is me. And, and I was born in sin, I, meaning I was born into a sinful world with, with, with almost a, a predisposition to sin. Not that I was born guilty of sin, but, but I was born into this, this sinful, fallen world. And, and so I was born in Adam. Now, now here's my, my beautiful wife, Christy, and we'll, we'll just set her there for a minute. But, you know, look, my, my boys, Noah and Eli, you know, you better believe it, in sin, right? Um, Mike, Mike Bell, were you born in Adam? Yeah, yeah, you were born in Adam. Uh, what about Mike's kids, uh, John and Chris? Definitely Chris, right? Um, Sam, and, Sam and Kayla, yep, in sin, right? They're, they're born in there. I mean, there's all these other people too, right? I mean, there's just all of them. There's, there's Judd and Brittany and Ray and, and uh, Bobby and Rennell and Tim. And there's all of these people, and we're all born in Adam, we were born with this, this predisposition to sin. We were born in a, in a sinful, fallen world. He says the whole world, nobody escaped. That when Adam sinned, that everybody that would ever live, that would ever be born, was in Adam. All right, Christy. Sorry, I love you, but, but you know, you were in Adam. And as sin contaminated Adam, as sin contaminated the entire human race, which means that your, pro which means that your problem is not necessarily what you're doing, which is a, it is a problem, but your problem... It's who you're related to. You were born in Adam. That's the problem. You, you were born in Adam, and you would say, that's not fair. It's not fair. And it's not. But remember, fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. It, it, nothing has been fair since the Garden of Eden. It, it's like that, that person, and maybe some of you have dealt with some difficult situations, and you say, it's not fair, and, and it's not fair. But it's true. And it's tragic. It's so unfair, but it's true. And, and, and this is how we know that we're born into a sinful, fallen world. That, because we suffer the consequences of, of death, right? We, we feel the effects of death. We feel the effects of condemnation. I mean, and, and I don't mean this to be insensitive at all, so, so please, please hear my heart when I say this. But, but if you've ever known somebody, or, or maybe you personally have lost a, a small child at, at birth or something, what could that baby have possibly done to, to have... To have, to, to have sinned, right? 
Nothing, right? They're not born guilty of sin, but they are born into a sinful world. They're born into a world that feels the effects of sin and death. And because of that, tragic things like that happen, and we say it's not fair. It's not. But it's true. And Paul says whether you think it's fair or not, it's true. You were born in Adam. You were born with the effects of sin. And, and, and here's the deal. No one has to teach you how to sin, right? Have you, have you ever noticed that? No one ever had to teach you how to sin. Now, maybe as you got older, maybe people taught you how, new ways to sin, but nobody had to teach you how to sin. I mean, if you don't believe that, just go spend some time in the nursery. I mean, even in the nursery, babies, toddlers, they will do stuff that we say, you know, you sh- they shouldn't do that. I mean, they will bite. They will take other, to- other kids' toys. We would all say, that's not, that's not good behavior, right? You ought not do that. But they will do that. Nobody had to teach them that. You know why nobody had to teach them that? Because it comes naturally. And as sin entered the world through, the, through Adam's one activity, his one behavior, his one trespass, so sin infected the entire human race. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And now he begins to draw a contrast, and this is sometimes where, where we lose focus because it's, it's complicated. He goes on and he says, verse 15, he says, But the gift, the gift is not like the trespass. He hasn't used that word gift yet. So what are you talking about, Paul? Well, in just a minute, he's going to define for us what he means by gift, but I'll just give you a heads up. In just a minute, he's going to tell us that the gift is the gift of right standing with God. It's the gift of righteousness. This gift is the gift of justification, as if God would look at you and say, I see someone who is completely forgiven, and it's just as if you've never sinned, and it's a gift, and it's something that God gives to us. And we'll get there in just a minute. He says this, he said, but the gift is not like the trespass. Now, what's that? The trespass. This trespass was the one act of Adam in the garden that condemned everybody. But this gift that, that we receive when you become a believer, it's, it's a little different than the trespass. So, so Paul explained that to us. He says, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, if the many, that's all of us, that's all of us who are, who are in Adam, if all of us are separated from God in, in sin, if we all died because of the one trespass of this one man, Adam, he says, how much more? This is so powerful. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Now he introduces us to a second character. He says, here's what you've got to understand. That just like we were all born in Adam, that that when you became a Christian, you were taken out of Adam. You were taken out of Adam. So I'll start with my sweet wife, Christy. You were taken out of Adam. And guess what? When you become a Christian, you are placed in to Christ. You're placed in Christ. You're taken out of Adam and into Christ. And here's where he's going in the next few verses. He says the contrast between those two things, it's powerful and it's so practical and it's so real that you just don't want to miss this because what most of us heard growing up, and if you've, if you've been in church for a long time, you heard this, that you become a Christian and then when you die, you go to heaven. And that's great, right? That, that's great. But, but Paul never mentions heaven or hell or anything like that in this discussion. He's not talking about heaven or hell because this discussion is aimed toward people who are wondering, why can't I do what I ought to do? How come I keep sinning? How come I keep screwing up? And why is it that that there seems to be this thing in me, this power in me, that that at times it just overrides my will and I know I'm going to have regrets and I know I'm going to hurt people and I know that I'm going to wish I hadn't done it, but I do it anyway. Is there a way to escape that? And Paul says this gift this gift of right standing with God, not only, is it, not only is it not like this, but he's about to say that it's more powerful than the power that came with being born in Adam. He says, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? 
nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. He says this incredible thing that God has done for us in Christ, it can't be compared with the result. This one thing that, that, that in Adam, this one thing that he did, it resulted in something else that, that because of what Christ did. He describes it this way. He says, he says this, he says, The judgment followed one sin and it brought condemnation. And this is where people kind of push back from Christianity. But, but here's, here's Paul's explanation. He says that because of, of Adam, condemnation entered the world. And all of us suffer the effects of condemnation. Not just because we suffer, not just because we sin, but we suffer the effects of condemnation because of Adam's sin. Again, because we, we feel the effects of death. Because, because Adam brought that into the world. His sin, his one activity of rebelling against God brought that into the world. But verse 16 says, But the gift followed many trespasses, and it brought justification. He said that we were born in Adam, and there's this condemnation that comes with that. But when we are taken out of Adam and we are placed into Christ, when we are taken out of Adam and we are placed into Christ, there, there's something that happens to us to which you would say we're given a gift of righteousness and a gift of justification. And so which if you grew up in church, you would say, great, that means when we, go, when we die, we go to heaven. And Paul would say, that's not what I'm talking about. What we're talking about is more practical than that. Go, go to heaven when you die. That's great. That's what we all want. But that's, that's someday, somewhere down the road. Hopefully not anywhere in the near future. He says, I'm talking about the implications of this right now. See, we know what this looks like. We, we know what this looks like. It looks like I just can't do what I ought to do. And, and, I, and I do what I think the law wants me to do. And I just can't please God. I can't even please myself. I just can't be consistent in some areas of my life, and it's because this dwells in me. It's because, it's because of who I am, right? It's because of what is true of me at the core. And Paul says, I've got some great news for you. The, the implications of moving from in Adam to in Christ, the implications of that is not about what happens when you die. It's about a way of living and a lifestyle here and now. To which we would say, Paul, you're not going to tell me just try harder? He's going, no. Because this sin, this isn't about what you've tried. This is about what's true of you and what now has become true of you because you've been taken out of Adam and moved into Christ. He says this in verse 17. He says, For if by the trespasses of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man. Because remember, wherever there's a trespass, wherever there's, there's a sin, on the hills of sin is death. He says, for if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, this is where he defines what he means by gift, the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. I want to make sure you caught that. Now, they're, they're not bolded, bolded on, on the screen, but I want, I want to make sure that you caught that. These two words, in life. Do you see that? He says, the gift of righteousness reign in life. In fact, let's just pause for a moment and so that we make sure everybody caught this and just say those two words with me. In life. Say it with me. In life. One, one more time. In life. Not in heaven. Not in eternal life. Not one day when I'm, when I'm all perfect and I have angel wings and I sing songs and I've got this beautiful voice and I look like I did when I was 16 and I got hair and all of that stuff. No, no, no. He said, I don't know about all that. I'm just telling you. If you understand the implications and the significance of this, you can reign in life, this life, you can reign over all the power that seems to overpower you. Reign in life, come on, through one man, Jesus Christ. And here's why this is so important. Because if you read through the New Testament, you run into phrases uh, like this, especially in Paul's letters, in Christ, and in Christ, in Christ, through Christ. 
Right? Maybe, maybe you've heard that verse, uh, you remember that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what does it mean through Christ? He means having been placed into Christ, having come out of Adam and into Christ. And it means that there, there's, a, there's a new mode of operation for you in, in this life. We, we know what life looks like through Adam, right? We know what that looks like when, when we're overpowered by sin and, and the powers of sin. And so is it possible? Is it possible to live through Christ in a way that overpowers and supersedes what happens to us when we're living through Adam? And so he wraps it up in verse 18. He says, Consequently, just as one trespass, Adam's sin, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, that is Jesus dying on the cross for our sin, overbreaking sin, breaking the power of sin, breaking free from the chains of sin, paying the penalty for sin, this one act of righteousness Resulted in justification and life for all people. Here's what he's saying. Adam did something wrong and it affected everyone. And Jesus did something right and it undid everything that Adam had done. Adam did one thing and it resulted in condemnation for all who were born in Adam. And Jesus in one act of obedience, it it mirrors, but it overpowers that one act of disobedience. And it's provided a way for us not simply to go to heaven when we die, but to have a new kind of life in this life. He's talking about right now. And so he wraps up verse 19. He says, For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. He says, you're a sinner. That's, remember, that's the problem. You're a sinner. You're an ungodly sinner. Your, your sin is just an outgrowth of what is true of you at the core. He says, For just as, as through the, the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. Now, we're going to stop the Bible part there right now, and we're going to pick it up next week, all right? Bobby's going to, Bobby's going to preach next week, and he's got a great message planned for you, and he's going to, he's going to start there. But, but next week, um, here, here's what he's saying. Paul, let's just kind of wrap all this up right now. Paul's saying, if your approach to the Christian life is, is this, is God, thank you for, for forgiving me and forgiving my sins, and now I'm going to do the, the very best that I can to be like Jesus and, and just do what Jesus wants me to do, Paul says, good luck with that. Good luck. But Paul says, I've got some great news because there are massive, massive, massive implications when we think about and accept what God has done through Christ when we're taken out of Adam and we are poured into Christ. When we're taken out of Adam and we are placed and we are put in Christ through, through placing our faith in Him by, by coming to accept Him as our Savior, as our Lord, through, through our baptism. When, when, when that happens, something happens to us fundamentally. And unfortunately, nobody told most of us. And the, reason mo- uh, and the reason nobody told most of us is, number one, it's a little complicated. And we've got a short attention span. And Paul says, I'm telling you. Paul just says, I'm telling you, there's been a fundamental change. There's been a change at the core of who you are. And, and the verses and the chapters that, that follow, uh, I want to teach you, he would say, I want to teach you how to live out of this. How to live out of this. You know how to live out of this container. You know how to live out of Adam. I want to teach you how to live out of Christ. This isn't about eternity. I mean, that, that's going to be great. That's going to be a great result of it, right? But it's not about eternity. This is about reigning in life now through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in some ways, for, for many of us, we've never, for whatever reason, we just didn't know. In fact, it's okay that you didn't know. Because in the next part of the book of Romans, Paul begins this way to his Roman audience. He says, didn't you know? And they're like, no. He says, didn't you know? And don't you know? And they're like, no, we, we don't know. 
We just thought that Jesus came and died for our sins and, and now we're forgiven and, and we're just going to do the very best that we can and, and try to just be the, a better version of, of people who were born in Adam. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That, that's not it at all. Remember that thing that Jesus said about newness and newness of life and eternal life. Remember all that stuff? And, and they would say, yeah, we just thought that was about heaven. Paul says, no, it's about reigning in this life by, allowing, by learning to allow Christ to live through us. Just like Adam's fallen, condemned nature has manifested itself through, through, through all of these years. He would say, didn't you know? To which they would say, we don't know. And which many of us would say, we didn't know. And that's where we're going to go in the next couple of weeks. So I want to pray for you. And, and then we're going we're gonna to get out of here. But here's your one application from today's message. All right, sometime at some point this week, uh, I want you to say to a complete stranger, maybe not a complete stranger, maybe a coworker, maybe somebody, maybe somebody you have a relationship with who, who doesn't come to church. I just want you to look at them, and I want you to say, you're so ungodly. All right? You're so ungodly. And, and you might say it in a joking manner because, you know, you don't want to offend them too, mad, too much right off the bat. But then invite them to come to church with you next week, all right? You're so ungodly. And, and come to church next week because it's okay that you didn't know that because we're going to talk about that and just kind of sow that seed. You got that? We can do that? You're so ungodly, right? Everybody got that? All right, let me pray.